into the word on tonight. I'm continuing this series called Naughty by Nature, and I'm going to be teaching um, from this subject, how to overcome habitual sin, how to overcome habitual sin, how to overcome habitual sin. Get out your Bibles, get out your pens, pads, whatever you take your notes with if you do it on your phone, uh, because this is going to be um, very word heavy, but it's going to help you. All right. Uh, how to overcome habitual sin. Uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number one. Hebrews 12, verse number one. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to be all over the word on tonight. Um, we're going to be very open and very honest. Uh, we pray for a spirit and an atmosphere to really deal and dig some things out um, in our lives. Uh, because I don't care how saved you are, all of us got some habitual sin. Okay? And so we need to kind of talk about this and deal with this. All right? Hebrews 12, verse number 1. If you have a say Amen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And the sin that so easily entangles. That's what I want to focus on tonight is that phrase, the sin that so easily entangles us. Because it is the nature of man, even the nature of the believer, to be easily entangled in sin. Why? Because at the end of the day, we are all naughty by nature. Look at your neighbor and say, you are naughty by nature. Naughty by nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens so easily, okay? The reality is there are certain sins which more easily entangle each of us than other ones. There's some sins that your neighbor, it don't bother them, but it bothers you. And there's some sins that, that uh, don't bother you, but bother your neighbor. Each of us in our own lives have certain propensities, certain tendencies, certain inclinations for specific kinds of sin. Why? A couple of reasons. It could be because we have cultivated habits of sin that, have, that happened before salvation now, that now plagues us even after salvation. There was some stuff we did before we came to Jesus that we did, we were wonderful at it, and we brought that same sin with us into salvation. It could be because we have areas, listen to this, of spiritual weakness that have gone undeveloped that open the door for us to continue in certain types of sin. Because we have not developed in certain spiritual areas, we still have sin that runs rampant in our lives. And those sins, as I preached uh, two Sundays ago, know how to pull us and entangle us right where it wants us to be. Because no matter how saved you are, no matter how long you've been saved, no, no, every Christian has certain sins that easily capture us, that easily entangle us. Now, we have to be honest, and these sins can and will turn into habitual sins if you're not careful. Habitual sins are the sins that we commit and then we confess and then we commit again and then we confess and then we commit again and then we confess and then we commit again and then we confess. Some of y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, but is there anybody in here that ever been on a roller coaster of sin? <laughs> on and off, on and off. Take you up, you come back down, you go up, it's fun, you come back down, it's scary. Your heart is racing, and then you come back down, and you're glad it's over, and you got away with it, but then what do you say? Let's do it again. The, the habitual sin is a destructive behavior, listen to this, that is addictive, that is controlling, and that is always present. 
Let me say that again. Habitual sin is a destructive behavior that is addictive, that is controlling, and that is always present. Habitual sin remains in the dark, and consequently, the person experiences tremendous shame and guilt. You know what's funny? We talk about the light sins. We don't talk about habitual sins. We can talk about how we cut somebody out, but we don't talk about the habitual sin of pride. We, you ain't never seen anybody come to you and say, pray for me because I got a pride issue. Because when you got a habitual sin, pride ain't what you think is really your issue because pride is your issue, so you're too proud to say that you're proud. That went over your head. Watch this. Sometimes the sin even begins to define the person and becomes the main issue in his or her life. So my question becomes, here we go, it's on the screen, why does sin easily entangle? Why does sin easily entangle? Now, I need you to look at sin from a different perspective, okay? I need you to look at sin from a different perspective. Check that. Is that on 71, 72? What is that on? Because I'm freezing. It's on 71. Put it up to 72, please. Praise God in Jesus' name. Why does sin easily entangle? Write this down. Number one, it's on the screen. Sin has great power. Sin has great power. You ready for this? The Lord said this to me, and it wrecked me. The worst enemy that you and I have is our flesh. I hate to bust your bubble, because some of y'all think it's your coworker, some of y'all think it's a person you don't like, some of y'all think it's a family member you can't stand, but your worst enemy is your own flesh. Sin has great power over our flesh. The, the reason sin can so easily entangle us is because, it's, because of its power, its strength, and its force. Watch this. I want you to listen to this. It exerts strong influence on our will. It exerts strong influence on our emotions, and it exerts strong influence on our affections. It rarely suggests things to us. It almost always commands them. It rarely leads. It always pushes us from the rear and drives us and forces us. Sin, ladies and gentlemen, is powerful. Have you ever said, I ain't going to do that, and an hour later? That's powerful, ain't it? That's powerful. Sin is powerful. I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uh, fooled up in this new uh, new age preaching that you have to be very careful of because now it's so motivational, it doesn't tell you how to fight your own flesh anymore. And we repost stuff all the time from preachers that will never tell you the truth that your flesh is out of control. Watch this. Galatians 5, verse number 17. Come on, let's go to Galatians 5, verse number 17. Galatians 5, verse number 17. We in the fight tonight. Galatians 5, verse number 17. Amen. I'm going to show you how powerful the flesh is. Here we go. Galatians 5, verse number 17. If you have it, say amen. amen. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Somebody needs to say amen right there. My flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. 
Spirit want one thing, my flesh wants something else. Spirit say fast, my flesh want every sweet I have ever seen in my life. Spirit wants, unforgive, wants forgiveness. The flesh wants unforgiveness. The spirit wants what is, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Look what it says. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You're in conflict. You con you're in conflict. With your, have you ever had the conflict of the battle within the World War, world war Me? Okay, let me put it like this. You ever had a season where in a span of five to ten minutes you can laugh and cry? And then go back to laughing? Because you like, what is going on? And see, here's the thing. And society will teach you that, oh, you know, you're going through, that's depression, that's anxiety, that's this, that, this, da, 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 da. No, that's your flesh out of control. And, your, and it's a war going on on the inside of you between your flesh and your spirit. You ever been so mad that you started crying? Because the spirit is saying no, and your flesh is saying let them have it all. And you then get in a war within yourself because the flesh is always in contrary to the spirit. The reason sin is so powerful is because there is no such thing as peaceful coexistence between the flesh and the spirit. I need you to hear this. The reason it's so powerful is there is no such thing as peaceful coexistence between the flesh and the spirit. Have you noticed these bumper stickers that all say coexist now? Y'all yeah. don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all yeah. ain't never seen that before? Yeah. Where now the narrative is that everything's supposed to be mixed up together and ain't nothing wrong with it. The reality is the word of God says there is no such thing as a peaceful coexistence between the flesh and the spirit. There can be no compromise between the flesh and the spirit because to surrender to sin is to violate the spirit. I can't coexist. My flesh and my spirit can't sit up together and have, have drinks. My flesh and my spirit can't dwell together and think that everything's going to work out because one of them's stronger than the other. Oh, I know it's stronger than the other. Let somebody offend you and let's see which one is going to be stronger. When was the last time somebody offended you and said, let me pray, let's pray together? No, offense rose up in you and you was ready to retaliate. You was ready to be upset. You was ready to be bothered. You, you didn't want them around. You wanted to ignore them. You, wanted, you said ain't nothing wrong with you and you knew everything was wrong with you. And offense has set in. Why? Because the flesh and the spirit cannot coexist together. If the flesh is up, the spirit is down. And if the spirit is up, the flesh is down. And the only check and balance to our sin, listen to this, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Sorry to mess you up. It is not self-help. It is not self-help. It is not self-help. You can't help yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, you cannot help yourself. Mm -mm, you can't help yourself. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. I'm making light of this, but I need you to look at it deeper. You need the Holy Spirit to say, don't go in there and eat that cupcake when you know you're trying to fast before the Lord. You need the Holy Spirit. Watch this, because watch this, because you know you can do some things and get away with it and nobody will know about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
and it takes the Holy Spirit to convict you when ain't nobody watching. That's when you know you got the Holy Spirit really working in your life. See, I don't need the Holy Spirit to be nice to you in church. I need the Holy Spirit when I'm all by myself and the thoughts of how you offended me and what you said about me start rolling in my mind. That's when I need the Holy Spirit to take control of that flesh because that flesh wants to sit in office and be upset with you. You need to check and balance of the Holy Spirit. That's why I will never be enough. Hear this. I want you to hear this. That's why I will never be enough to control sin through suppression or eradication. You can't suppress sin and you can't eradicate it. You must have the Holy Spirit operating in your life to counteract the power of sin in your life. Sin is powerful. I said sin is powerful. I said sin is powerful. Okay? Um, why, uh, why, let me go back to my point. Why does sin so easily entangle? Number one, sin has great power. Here's number two, write this down, because it's so close. It's so close. It's so close. Now, this is hard for the saints. This is hard. Because um, sin is more than what forces its way from the outside in. But it forces its way from our flesh from within us. Okay. The problem is we would love for sin to be all external. The reason I, you know, you remember, um, y'all don't remember this, but it used to be this, I think it was Flip Wilson who said the devil made me do it. Who used to say the devil made me do it? With Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson used to say the devil made me do it, right? And that was that was a catch line. And, there, and then and it, it was funny because uh, uh, you want to rest in that the devil made you do it. But there's some things you do that the devil didn't do. He wasn't even nowhere around. You know, some of y'all say, loose your whole devil. No, that's you. That wasn't the devil. The devil sitting in the get on my nerves. No. That was an anger issue within, within you that was already dwelling. All it needed was a trigger. Woo. That's all it needed. It was already in you. Look at your neighbor, point at him with an attitude and say, it's already in you. Yeah. It's not the influencers on the outside of you, but, but it's, it's, in, it's internal sins on the inside of you. Augustine put it like this. I don't have it on the screen, but Augustine said, used to pray this prayer. He said, Lord, deliver me from that evil man myself. Myself. That was me. That wasn't, that wasn't you. That was, that was me. Charles Spurgeon, I put this on, online. Didn't give me any, didn't give me any likes. I knew it, but, you know, it's okay. Charles Spurgeon said, all the fire that the devil can bring from hell could do us little harm if we didn't have so much fuel in our nature. There's some fuel already there. You, come on, you know the fuel is already there. You know how I know? How I know. Because you can have a falling out with somebody, don't see them for a long time, and let them walk by. Eyes are rolling. Huffing and puffing under your breath. Little shady comments left and right. That wasn't nobody else. That was that was in that was that fuel in you. Look at your neighbor one time. Say, that was in you. That was in you. Jeremiah 13, 23. Jeremiah 13, 23. I feel like teaching this tonight. I really do. Jeremiah 13, 23. Yeah, I need to teach this. Because uh, yeah. Jeremiah 13, 23. Yeah, you. you you done came in your open heaven. Now let's deal with your sin. Amen. Jeremiah 13, 23. 
Jeremiah 13, 23. And, and keep your Bibles open to Jeremiah because I got another scripture in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 13, verse number 23. The Bible says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Ah, ain't that some mess? Can I read that one more time? Because when I read that, that thing was like, first of all, I was offended by the first line. <laughs> oh, this is right, white man religion. Watch this. You missed the first part. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah is saying that you can't change the internal sinfulness that is a part of you that th then a leopard can change his spots or an Ethiopian can change his colors. It's in you. It's a part of who you are. Don't get me wrong. Some of it was passed down. It came from your, your mama and them. You come from a long line of people with attitudes and everybody in your family got attitude. Everybody loud. Everybody, you know, it, it was passed down in you. You know, I get it. There's some stuff. But there's some stuff that your mama ain't give you. That's already there. It's part of who you are. Sin is the very uh, powerful, sin is very powerful and finds a willing ally, listen to this, in your flesh. Sin finds a willing ally in your flesh because our flesh is fallen and your flesh itself has propensity towards sin. Sin is very close. Go over to Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, verse number 9. Jeremiah 17, verse number 9. Lord, help me to get through this one scripture right here. Because I feel like I'm going to offend me and everybody else by teaching this right here. Jeremiah 17, verse number 9. You have it? The Bible says, New King James Version says it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Deceitful right there, watch this, means surplanting or tripping up. De desperately wicked means fraudulent and perverse. Let's rewind all that one more time so you get that. The heart is deceitful above all things. It means your heart is deceitful, surplanting, tripping you up. And it is, watch this, and desperately wicked. It means it's fraudulent. It means it's perverse. It means our heart desires illusions and dreams, but always ends in bitterness and death. Can I tell you something? Here we go. That's why I'm scared when we use the term and the phrase, I'm just going to follow my heart. What? My Bible just told me that my heart is deceitfully wicked. It means it is fraudulent. It means I like illusions. And when you say, and I say, I'm just going to follow my heart, that is crazy because our heart is deceitful. It is lie. It lies to us. It is untrustworthy. It will have you seeking what is trying to kill you. It will have you wanting what's trying to destroy you. Why? Because sin is just that close. Sorry to bust your bubble, but when was the last time you said, I'm going to follow what the Spirit said and not your heart? Because your heart has lied to you. How many times has your heart said love somebody that really wasn't no good for you? 
Y'all don't want to talk right through here. How many times has your heart gone after and pursued stuff that God was nowhere in the plan and God was nowhere in the action and you went after it anyway? And now you got this theology that says, I need to follow your my heart. The devil is a lie. You better follow the will of God for your life because your heart will lie to you and get you in a lot of trouble. How many people you done loved? And it was illusion. It lied to you the whole time. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Deceitfully wicked. Your heart is so wicked and my heart is so wicked that will have you falling out with people that really do care about you. Deceitfully wicked. I'm just going to follow my heart. You better follow the spirit because you're going to follow your heart right into hell. You're going to follow your heart right into a mess in your life. You got to guard your heart. Why is this so easily entangled? Number one, read my points back to me. Number two, here's number three, it mingles in all of our motives and actions. Sin mingles, I like that word, mingles in all of our motives and actions. It don't, it don't, it don't live, it just, it just mingles. Now, this is hilarious to me. This is real hilarious to me. My iPad wants to update right now and literally just froze. Now, that's the devil. He ain't had no problem when I was talking about money. But now he got a problem when I'm talking about the sin. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I got a backup. Hold on. Play with it if you want. I mean, literally, just stop. Watch this. Sin does not remain separate, ladies and gentlemen. S but it mingles in our motives and in our actions. Mm -hmm. Come on. We got you. I'll <laughs> preach it from the phone. I sure will. Mm -hmm. Do you know we make decisions on our lives based upon our sin? I know we don't like to admit that. But do you know that's the truth? We have made decisions for our lives based upon our sin. Mm -hmm. Watch this. Sin is so powerful that it, it, it is near and it's in us that it can't be categorically separated. You can't draw a line and say, well, here, this is where my righteousness ends and this is where my sinfulness begins. Sin mixes and taints with our righteousness. It, 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 this is what, can I tell you something? This is what makes church so uncomfortable so, for so many people. Let me be real with you. Because the conflict between the sinful and the secular collide when you come to church. And now you don't feel comfortable because, watch this, while you were out of his presence and out of the will and doing what you want to do, didn't nothing convict you. But once you come into his presence, do you ever notice how uncomfortable you get? Now, you can go to the football stadium, scream all day long, cheer all over the place. But then when you come into the holy, all of a sudden when we say give him some glory, now you got an issue and you got a problem. Because when sin and the secular collide, it makes you uncomfortable. That's the point of sin. Watch this. Sin has a way of weaving itself into the fabric of all our duties, all our motives, all our thoughts, all our actions, and it entangles itself within our purpose and our plans. Even your best deeds are tangled up in sin. Watch this. Go over to Romans 7. Romans 7, verse number 21. Romans 7, verse number 21. 
I mean, just started up dating. Ain't nobody told her to do nothing. <laughs> Romans 7, verse number 21. It mingles in all of our motives and all of our actions. Romans 7, verse number 21 through 25. If you haven't, say amen. amen. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I mean, I can stop right there. Even though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Uh, for in my uh, inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law in work at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me, within me, within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be, be to God who delivers me through, uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, no matter how I try, I cannot disentangle myself from sin. And since sin is so powerful and the sin is so close and it's within us, sin does not separate itself, but it mingles itself into everything. It, it, it taints what you see. It taints how you deal with people. It taints how you love. Sin will mess you up so bad that it taints how you even, watch this, work in ministry. Because when you first get in ministry, everybody love each other. Give it time. Tell people all the time, give it time. I know when you're real about ministry, when you can outlast what happens in ministry. Because sin will find its way to creep in. It's interwoven in everything in our lives. And even the best that we do is somehow corrupted by some way in our flesh. We can do good. But watch this. Our flesh wants self-will, self-pleasure, self-aggrandizement, self-righteousness, and self-gain. And that's why we can become so easily entangled. It's about me. It's about what I want. Don't, 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 don't come after my desires. Don't preach about my, my will. Don't preach about my flesh. Let's shut the preacher down. Because I don't want to hear all that. So I, I, watch this. I can't sit still, still when he ain't talking about my blessing. So now the phone becomes so important to me. And I got to text this person. And now, now I got to go to the bathroom 17 times. Because I can't sit still long enough to hear about my sin and my flesh. Because when I start hearing about the sin and my flesh, it makes me uncomfortable. And now I got to move. I need you to lift your hand and say, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me. Deliver me. Because the same way I want to hear about open heaven is the same way I need him to jack me up about my sin and my flesh. The same way that God going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing I don't have room enough to receive is the same way that I need him to check me when I'm in my mess and in my foolishness and I'm doing the wrong thing and I'm offending people and I'm offending him. I need him to do that the same way. Same excitement. Had it, keep that same energy. Look at your neighbor and say, keep that same energy. But if we're going to be successful at our walk with God, we must do what Hebrew said, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. Put, put it aside. Put it away. Now the question comes, how do we do that? How do we do that? Okay. Um, now we've been commanded many times, other than what we read in Hebrews, of how to do that. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1. Somebody say, I love the word. Second Corinthians 7, verse number 1. 
2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1. If you have a say amen. amen. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Underline that for me. Uh, 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 let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. You mean the spirit can be filthy? Let's work it out. Uh, from the, all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Watch this. The filthiness of the flesh are those external acts of wickedness. But the filthiness of the spirit are those internal attitudes of the heart that lead to external sin. Can I say that one more time? Because I need you to get that, okay? The filthiness of the flesh are those external acts of wickedness, those things that we do. Smoking, drinking, sex, and, you know, all that good stuff. Overeating, you know, lying, you know, cheating, stealing, fornication, adultery. Y'all want me to go through all this? Okay, all right. Because y'all looking at me like y'all didn't know what those were. Okay, I want to make sure. But the filthiness of the spirit are those internal attitudes of the heart that lead to external sin. So the filthiness of the spirit is pride, lust, greed, anger. In other words, watch this, it's the stuff that I could do all by myself. I don't need anything else outside of me to, in order to do it. You get that? So you got to be careful because in church, we are led to believe that the only sins that, have, that are going on are always outside of us. When the Bible teaches us that there could be a filthiness of your spirit, that you can lift your hands and worship and still be filthy. That you can bless God and you can sing on the choir and usher on the board. You can be the deacon preacher. You can be whoever you want to be. And at the end of the day, you can still have a filthiness of your spirit. Mm -hmm. Watch this. Now let, let's work this out. He says, cleanse yourself inwardly and outwardly so that your walk before the Lord is clean. Cleanse yourself inwardly and outwardly. Paul says, God has made promises over your life that can be held up and delayed because of the flesh. I want to say that again. Look what he says. Therefore, having these promises. Now, what promises? If you read that, you will go to 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, you see verse number one. But back up to verse number six. And in the last three, script, last three verses of verse number six, explains the promises that God has made for your life. But by the time he gets to chapter seven, verse number one, then he says, since you got these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Why? Because you can hold up your favor because of your filthiness. You can hold up what God wants to release over your life, the promises that he made in chapter six, because of the filthiness of your flesh and the filthiness of your spirit. And I don't know about you, but I done held up enough of my favor long enough in my life. I need God to release some favor over me. And if I'm doing something that's stopping the favor of God from being released in my life, let me go ahead and put an end to it right now. Do y'all got that? Okay, watch this. Now I want to come back up. Okay, update complete. Thank you. I appreciate it. Didn't ask for it. Okay, yes, I agree. Uh-huh. Let me sign my life away to Apple. What they what they getting? Okay, yes. Continue. Thank you. Uh huh. Swipe to get started. Praise the Lord. I done swiped. Hello. Swipe. Go to Ephesians the fourth chapter, verse number twenty-two. Ephesians the fourth chapter, 
verse number 22. If you have it, say amen. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Look at your neighbor say, put off your old self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul says we must put off our old self. Pull off, put off means to strip away. It literally means, if you were to give it an imagery, it is like taking off dirty clothes. Okay? It's it, it, because if we don't put it off, we will go deeper and further into sin. The longer you have on dirty clothes, the, the worse you start to smell. Mm -hmm. And what he says is that you got to put off this dirtiness of your flesh and of your spirit in order, watch this, so that you won't be corrupted by deceitful desires anymore. That you ain't going to play, you ain't going to be dumb no more. Mm -hmm. Look at your neighbor and just, just sniff just, and ask them, what that smell, what's that smell? Do you need to change your clothes? You need to change your clothes? You been in them clothes too long? You ready for this? You ready for this? Watch this. One of the definitions of old self, he says to put off the old self, one of the definitions, you ready for this, is a corpse rotting in the sun. He says your old nature is like a corpse that's rotting in the sun. What it means is it grows more vile and more evil and more wicked every day. Do you realize, can I, let's, let's just take a pause. Is there anybody in here that say, I'm so grateful that God came into my life because if he would have left me unchecked, I don't know who I would be right now. I would be the meanest, nastiest, vilest person you have ever met. But I thank God that when he came into my life, he started changing some stuff in me, and I'm grateful because who I am today ain't who I used to be. I need you to look at your neighbor and say, you better praise God for what he did in my life. Yeah, you better praise God for what he did in my life because he brought me from a mighty long way. And if he would have left me alone, honey, I would be just as messed up as I want to be. No, my attitude ain't the greatest, but you better thank God. <laughs> he done brought me. Some of you, you know, used to be fighters. Fighters. Had the, the blade in your purse. Or oh, in your gums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of y'all know you used to be cussers. I mean, you had, a, you had a degree in cussology. You knew how to put it together. Now you go to cuss and it don't even sound right. You just give up. He says, watch this, you have to put that off, that old you. Stop coming to God and saying, well, God accept me how I am. He accepted how you were with salvation. Now you open the sanctification and he's not gonna accept that any longer. He says, put it off of your sanctification all day if you want to. <laughs> Those that have been walking with me know what that means. Romans 6, verse number 12. Romans 6, verse number 12. Everybody say, put it off. Put it off. Romans 6, verse number 
Why am I giving you these verses? Because I need you to start getting this word in you. You got to get this word in you. You got to get this word in you. You'll see in a minute why you got to get this word in you. Romans 6, verse number 12. If you have to say amen. amen. Therefore, NIV version, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Listen, listen to what he's saying here. I want to read that one more time. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. He's saying here that we are active in determining what our bodies will and will not do. You are not possessed by no devil when you sin. That's you. Devil didn't step into your body and, you know, y'all remember ghosts? Y'all remember ghosts with Whoopi Goldberg? And Patrick Swayze sat on her and, and she, you know. That ain't, that's not what happened to you when you sin and I sin. Okay? He says that we are active in determining what our bodies will and will not do. Here's, and I want you to hear this statement because I wrote this and I, was, I, was, I, I struggled with it, but I understood the major point because I didn't want to teach you bad theology, but I need you to hear this. We don't release complete responsibility to God in prayer that excludes us from doing the work necessary for God to put his grace on our efforts. Okay, let me say that one more time. We don't release complete responsibility to God in prayer that excludes us from doing the work that's necessary for God to put his grace on our efforts. In other words, I don't sin and then say, God, oh, Lord, help me. I, I don't, help me. I don't want to do that no more. And then go right back to it. See, what we have taught you is release it in prayer. So you released it in prayer. But what we didn't ta teach you is after you done prayed, now you got to put some work in. Now you got to turn down your flesh. Now you have to deny yourself. Now you have to nail yourself to the cross. Now you have to tell yourself no. See, that's what we don't tell you. And what you want to do and what I want to do is just go to God and pray, and then God, you do it. You ain't do it. Okay, all right, well, maybe you'll do it next time. No, that ain't how it work. Everybody say, that ain't how it work. We have to yield control of our lives to the Lord so that we can be an instrument in his hands. Just like we say, Lord, use me when we want to do ministry, we got to say, Lord, hold me. Mm-hmm. That same fervor, that same fire you got that when you want to sing a song real good, you want to preach a message real good, you want to do something in ministry, you want to dance, whatever it is that you want to do, the same fire that you have for that is the same fire you need to have when you say, Lord, hold me together. Now let me go work, it, work this out. The question comes, how do we do that from a practical standpoint? How, we can, how can I lay this aside? Because we cannot defeat sin in our lives if little change, if little changes in the pattern of sinning. You got to change your pattern. <coughs> Everybody say change your pattern. Change your pattern. And we want to confess our sins and have the confidence that he is faithful and just to forgive them. But if we do not take the steps to have a decreased load of sin, then the list is a little shorter because we're dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis. So my question becomes, here we go, how to overcome habitual sin? How do you overcome habitual sin? How do you overcome habitual sin? Number one, write this down, don't underestimate your sin. Don't underestimate your sin. I 
I think the major reason we don't deal with sin strongly and firmly is because we underestimate its seriousness to God, its seriousness to those in our lives, its seriousness to our family, its seriousness to our church, and its seriousness to unbelievers. I know you think, and I think, that we did it and got away with it. But do you know when you sin and I sin, all those things are affected? Can I say that one more time? It's seriousness to God, it's seriousness to those in your life, it's seriousness to your family, it's seriousness to your church, and it's seriousness to the unbelievers. Our sin steals joy. Our sin ruins fellowship with God. Our sin diminishes fruitfulness. Our sin robs us of peace. Our sin hinders our service to God and leads us to ineffectiveness. Our sin, hear this, taints our witness to unbelievers. Our sin hinders our prayers. Our sin brings the discipline of God. Let me say that last one again. Our sin brings the discipline of God. Because the Bible says that he chastised those whom he loves. We need to understand the seriousness of our sin. In the 1600s, they were having... Um, uh, uh, a great um, uh, 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 religious uh, uh, time in England and there were these group of people who were going to be exiled out of England um, and you got to remember you know some of them came over to the United States created the United okay um, and there were there, there were these these preachers that got up and preached to these people that they were never going to see again because they know they were going to be outcast they were going to be gone forever and and these were the last messages. Now, this is 1600s, so ain't no TV, ain't no internet. So a message to them was like everything, you know. Now y'all can get messages down a dozen. You can pull up your favorite preacher and live in rebellion. But back then, um, shots fired. <coughs> back then, <laughs> back then, um, th when the preacher gave a word from the Lord, they really thought it was from the Lord, you know. Like we should, but you know, when the Lord, and so uh, one of the preachers, Ed Kalami, said this. This is his last word in, in one of his message in his message to th those people that he would never see again. Some of those people were going to be killed, some of them outcast. He was going to be killed, outcast. He says this: there is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest calamity. There is more evil in the least sin than in the greatest misery. That's profound. Let's think for a little bit. Why is there, watch this, why is there more evil in the least sin than in the greatest calamity? Why? Because when you look at your life, when you are distressed about your calamities and your miseries, watch this, you will be distressed about your calamities and your miseries, but you will be tolerant of your sin. You missed what I just said. You will go through a six-month de depression if somebody break up with you. But you will sin and won't even bat your eye. That's heavy. Because we don't treat our sin seriously. Everybody do it. Everybody's struggling. See the excuses we like to use? Okay. We don't have money, we go through a depression. 
Go through a bad breakup, our emotions are all over the place. We cry uncontrollably. We stop eating and change and can't even sleep. From a breakup, you can't eat and you can't sleep. Ask you to fast and you're struggling. So you will give more energy to your calamities and your misery than you will your growth in God. Look at your neighbor and say, get your mind right, get your mind right. But we sin and we are the least bit moved by it. You can talk to somebody crazy, you can cuss them out, you can roll your eyes, or you can ignore them and let them walk right past you and you don't speak and you don't feel nothing about that. But let your check be short $100 on Friday. And you will call down fire from heaven over your $100. But you will walk right past somebody that you love and it don't even move you. We underestimate our sin. We underestimate it. I know that's rough. Y'all, y'all trying to, you know, I see some of y'all trying to adjust in your seat off of that. But that's just the truth. We will underestimate our sin. And you know what it is? We will dishonor God. It abuses mercy. It despises grace. It presumes on forgiveness. He'll forgive me. It defiles worship. It defiles your service before God. It defiles your fellowship. It stains and taints and poisons and destroys everything good and holy. Don't you underestimate your sin. Everybody got attitude. Don't you underestimate your attitude. Because what you don't see in the spirit is dead bodies that you done killed. Don't you underestimate your sin. I'm single. I need something every now and again. Mm-hmm. But you don't see the soul that ain't going to come to Christ now because of what you did. Don't you underestimate your sin? I know it is. It's rough. I'm trying to get through it. it it's like one of them, I'm trying to swallow the pill right along with y'all. I'm regretting every word. I'm not regretting, but I'm like, I'm on the edge of the, every word that's coming out of my mouth. Like, Lord Jesus. Everybody say, don't underestimate your sin. Here's number two, write this down. Purpose and promise God not to sin. Purpose and promise God not to sin. Purpose and promise God not to sin. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yes, I will. Purpose and promise God not to sin. I was just going to say promise. But then I put purpose on the front of it. Let me tell you why. Because I noticed that the saints ain't even trying no more. Right? So you have to purpose in your heart that you're not going to do whatever you say you're going to do. Right? I've discovered a lot of people make promises but don't have no purpose behind the promise. So I promise to love you, but I don't purpose my life around loving you. So I will promise you all day, I'm going to love you. Amber, I'm going to love you. Oh, I'm going to love you. But I ain't going to pay no bills. You make me mad, I'm, I'm going to pay you back, right? When a, purpose, when a person purposes behind the promise, it now changes your intentions, right? Because now you are trying to throw your whole self behind what you have promised that you say you're going to do. So what I'm saying to the believer is, watch this. 
are you purposing in your mind that I'm not going to sin? Or are you just saying, well, everybody do it? You got to take a vow and say, God, I do not want to sin. I don't want to break your law. I don't want to grieve your spirit. I don't want to dishonor your name. Psalms 119, verse 106. Y'all didn't even know it had that many verses in it. Psalms 119, verse 106. I believe Psalms 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. Okay, Psalms 119, ver uh, 106. Psalms 119, verse 106. You have a say, man. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have taken an oath and confirmed it. I have promised and purposed it that I will follow your righteous laws. Unless you have that kind of resolve in your life, ladies and gentlemen, you'll find it easier to be entangled by sin. Because it takes a heart that is set with a bold affirmation that leads to hold, holy living. You got, to, you got to purpose your heart that you want to live holy. You got to purpose in your heart and promise God that I'm going to do everything in my power to please you with my life. And until you make that kind of conscious commitment to the Lord, you're going to battle the, with the same things over and over again and be defeated. Drop down to verse number 32. Psalms 119, verse number 32. I run in your path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. You got to run with this. What, 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 it, what it means is, I'm going to run, listen to this, after obedience, because I have a heart that I want to obey. Can I be honest with you? Been pastor nine years. It'll be 10 years next year. I don't know where the time went. I blinked, and it's 10 years later. And you know what I've discovered? I, I've discovered that everybody that says they love God don't want to live for God. I've discovered that no matter how much you can preach and teach and, and all this other stuff, there's some people that no matter, they are not in the place of where they really have surrendered all their life to the Lord that says, God, it's not some, God is not something I do, it is my world, it is my life, it's my everything, okay? You have, to, you have to say, I want to run after obedience, I want to obey God, but it starts in your heart. Research shows that if you want to be a great runner, long distance runner, endurance runner, a marathoner, it, ha it is better to have, watch this, an enlarged heart muscle. Research shows this, because an enlarged heart will help the runner uh, his runner, the runner's ability, and a large heart strengthens their heart to keep pumping all that is needed so that the body is able to push itself beyond its limits. So a great runner can run the way they run because their heart is enlarged. And the psalmist is saying, I will run the way of your commandments because I, because you have enlarged my heart. You have given me a heart of obedience. You have, uh, you have broadened my understanding that your way is the best way. I've resolved that now. I don't have to question that any longer. There's some people who are still questioning, is God's way really the best way? Watch this. You question it because when you did it God's way, it didn't work out the way you had pre proposed it in your mind. 
And when it didn't work out that way, then you say, well, maybe God's way is not the best way. And God is saying, you got to come to the place where you make up in your mind, I'm going to obey, even if I don't like it, even if I cry, even if I suffer, even if I go without, even if I get rejected, even if people walk away, even if I ain't got the money, even if I got the house, even if I got the car, I'm still going to worship you and do what you have called me to do, and I'm going to obey you with all my life. That's the kind of purpose that is absolutely essential. Why does it have to be purpose and promise? Because, um, and I'm going to answer this right here as well, why does it have to be purpose and promise? Why can't I just promise God, God, I don't want to sin, I I promise you I ain't going to do it no more, but I don't purpose myself. Why does it have to be purpose and promise? Watch this. Listen to this. Because there's a great difference between sin dwelling in us and sin entertained by us. Work that out. There's a difference between sin dwelling in us and sin entertained by us. Just because sin is in me don't mean I have to entertain it. Paul, you got a thorn in your flesh. God, you going to remove it? Nope. Sin in you. But now when the trigger comes by that puts on, pushes on that thorn, are you now going to respond in your normal way? Or are you going to say, my grace is sufficient for you? Because sin in you is not the same as sin entertained by you. Let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be real. Some of the stuff we got in, it wasn't because the sin was in us. It's because we entertained it. I took the number. I responded to the DM. Ask your neighbor, say, what, what are you entertaining? What are you, what are you, what are you entertaining? What are you entertaining? Yeah. You driving by the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You steady online. Listen, you steady online looking at different uh, outfits that you know you can't afford. You entertained it. You entertained it. Come here. Come here. You knew she was calling you with some foolishness. And you knew you should have got off the phone. But you entertained it. You entertained it. So it doesn't matter if it's in you because it can be in you and it still not affect you to the place where you fall into sin. It, It affects you when you fall into sin when you entertain it. Some conversations you don't need to have. Some places you don't need to go. Some places your eyes don't need to set on. There's a great difference between sin remaining and sin harbored or sin preserved. And to lay aside sin means to purpose and to promise God to obey and and a firm promise. I promise you I will obey. Everybody say that. I promise you, God, I I will obey. obey. Now you got to put purpose behind that. Here's number three. Number three. Be suspicious of your own spirituality. Be suspicious of your own spirituality. Hika Messiah. Yeah, be suspicious of that. Mm-hmm. Be suspicious of your own spirituality. I never saw this before. I never saw this before. I never saw how my own spirituality could be a detriment to, my, to myself and keeps me in a place of habitual sin, but it can you know, sometimes I believe that people trade bondages when they come to Jesus. They, they drop one bondage to pick up another one. Okay? 
And so I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12. Are y'all getting something from this? Y'all riding with me? It's a little rough tonight. It's a little rough. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12. Be suspicious of your own spirituality. We live in a day and time where, you know, everybody got a title now. I ain't never seen so many bishops and apostles and <laughs> prophets in all my life. Somebody came to me, oh, we're going to make you a bishop. No, thank you. <laughs> no. Somebody came, I, uh, I think, which, which I could tell you? Somebody sent me a letter talking about they want to give me a doctorate. I said, no, thank you. I'm good. I think that's, an off that's offensive to the ones who actually earn one. For you just give me, hand me out one. Why? Because my church size? That mean I need a, do a doctorate? No, that ain't, that, listen, no. Watch this, we, we live in titles. We live in a zone of let me hide what's really going on. So give me a title that covers where I'm really at. So let me be prophet so-and-so, but I don't know how to keep my stuff to myself. Let me, let me get a title in church. Let me be Sister Suchy Muchy. Because I'm going to use that as a covering of what's really going on. That's why you got to be, be, be suspicious of your own spirituality. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12. It says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Okay, I'm, listen. I don't care how great of a service you had on Sunday. Still be suspicious of your own spirituality. They could have carried you to your car because you was that slain in the spirit. And when you come down, still be suspicious of your own spirituality. Because I discovered I could go high in the realms of the spirit and I could come down and cuss you out. Go to Job chapter 31. Job 31 verse number 1. Job, righteous man. Didn't the Bible say you righteous? He's a righteous man. Job 31. Job 31, verse number one. I didn't even know this was in the Bible. Job 31, verse number one. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Righteous man said that. <laughs> I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at pornography? I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at my own pride? I have made a covenant with my I told the Lord, these your eyes. You tell me where to look. I will obey, Lord. Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> he said, I got to be careful where I look because I don't even trust my own self. I got to start with what I see because I don't trust me. Now, be careful where you look at. 
Mm-hmm. Because you can't trust yourself. I would say this to the men, but I'm going to say this to the women as well. Men, you got to be careful that sometimes when you see somebody attractive that you don't look beyond three seconds. Married or single? Because it, after three seconds, something settles in your spirit. Mm-hmm. I would just say that to the men, but women, y'all as well. Because y'all go on fantasy trips in the head of yours. You see yourself five years married with two children with, and you don't even know their name. Am I talking? Y'all think I'm lying? I mean, it will take you on a head trip. You see the dress, you see the flowers at the wedding, all in 10 seconds. <laughs> Go to Proverbs 4, 23. You gotta watch where your eyes look. You gotta, you gotta watch, because after a while, it'll bring you somewhere and take you somewhere. Proverbs 4.23, you know this, this needs to be something, I, well let me put it like this, this is something I've been praying about. This is something I've been praying about. This scripture right here, I've been really wrestling with this scripture with the Lord. Proverbs 4.23, New King James Version says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. You got to guard your heart. There's a certain watchfulness that you have to have. You have to be watching for sin's subtle movements within your own spirituality. Because your heart is desperately wicked and very deceitful. And the, listen to this, and the seducing motions of your own heart can sometimes rise out of the moments of your own spirituality. It will seduce you. And thinking you all right, it will seduce you. I know I'm, I'm using them as an example, but don't sing a song real good and the whole and the whole church go up, because it'll seduce you into thinking that your anointing is superseding your flesh. I'm not. I, listen, I learned that a long time ago. I could preach a good message, the whole church could fall out, and I could still go home and struggle with my flesh. Because your spirituality does not override that. The anointing does not override it. It breaks those yokes. It didn't break yours. Watch this. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. Because you will sin. I'm talking to saints now. I ain't talking to unbelievers. You will sin and get away with it. And you start to trick yourself into believing that it must not be that bad because there was no consequences or embarrassing results. You don't want to tell that truth right there, Beverly, that sometimes we will get away with the sin and start to fool ourselves. I must be all right because I didn't, you know. You know, when you first get saved, the Lord going to strike you down. <laughs> you was raised like holiness and Pentecost like I was, the Lord's going to strike you down. You know, you, you, you told a lie, the Lord's going to strike you down. I come from the old school church where they had the mourner's bench. And so the mourner's bench, you had to go sit on it when you know you have sin. So when you didn't do that, when you act right, my grandma would put me on the mourner's bench and you had to sit there the whole service because you, you were in sin. You talk back to your teacher, you in sin, go sit on the mourner's bench. Get yourself together, let the Lord purge you. Let him purge you. I come from the purging church where you call on Jesus till you're foaming at the mouth of carrying on. Okay? That's the kind of church I come from. And, 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 and what I've discovered is, watch this, that when you start growing in God and start realizing that he will give you leeway, that sin don't automatically uh, reap 
the, the repercussions that you thought they was going to happen, and you start saying, well, wait a minute. If I got away with it, it must not be that. I still got the favor of God. And here's where it really gets you. And then he blesses you in disobedience. So you can get the job and still be disobeying him somewhere else in your life. And you will fool yourself. I got the favor of God. Late in the midnight hour, God gonna turn around. It's gonna work in my favor. You got favor and you filthy all at the same time. Don't you fool yourself and let your spirit, you gotta be suspicious of your own spirituality. Cause you will walk around thinking, oh, ain't nothing wrong with me. The Lord bless it. Hallelujah. <laughs> you got to be suspicious. Watch this. So we will shout over a bad attitude. We will serve on the ministry with a victim mentality. We will worship the Lord with unforgiveness in our heart. You got to be suspicious of your own spirituality. Can I tell you something? I saw this meme and it's so true. It kills me that in the saints nowadays, now, Instead of apologizing to the person that offended you, we want to be spiritual and go grab, grab them in church and hug them and speak in tongues in each other's ear. No, I need an apology in English. That's a weird spirituality. That I can hook them a shot. I'm all, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, glory. Thank you. And I done talked about you like a dog. Everybody say, be suspicious of your own spirituality. Yeah. Number four, here we go. Resist the first risings of the flesh. The first. Resist the first risings of the flesh. Don't, don't try to stop the process near the end. Too late. Stop it at the beginning. When the flesh starts to rise, kill it. When the flesh gets ignited, kill it right then and there. Bible says, how can you take how can you take fire in your bosom and expect not to get burned? You got to kill it. Go to James, the first chapter, verse number 14. James, New Testament. James, the first chapter, verse number 14. I love this church because um, early this year, I would call out some of these, and y'all wouldn't know where none of this stuff is at. Now, y'all, look at y'all. Y'all know how to turn in your Bible and go to the scripture. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, he growing us. Hallelujah. Thank God for discipleship. James, the first chapter, verse number 14. I didn't think we was going to make it out this season, but we made it. Praise the Lord. James, the first chapter, verse number 14 and 15. Uh, but the Bible says, NIV version, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their what? Own evil desires and entice. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You want to stop it at the point of conception and not try to stop it at the point of birth. Because at the point of birth, it's too late. 
You got that baby now. It's too late now. You resist and oppose the first risings of your flesh and its pleasure. Sin comes to you promising pleasure, and you remember at the very beginning, my goal is not to please myself, but it's to please the Lord. I got to cut the head off at the beginning. I can't let this fester. Watch this. So I can't let an argument go on. I think they feel some type of way. Did you ask this? Or did you wait six months and now offense is in your heart? And now we can't get the offense out because it's so rooted in there that it's giving birth. Y'all see that? Okay. So you have, to, you have to make sure that you resist the first risings of the flesh. Number five, meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. Go back to Psalms 37. Psalms 37, verse number 31. Psalms 37, verse number 31. You got to meditate on the word. You're going to overcome habitual sin. You have to meditate on the word. Psalms 37, verse number 31. If you have a say amen. The law of his, of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So here's what the Lord said to me while I was reading this. The Lord said he's trying to get us to the place where we get beyond the season of oops. Right? Because you go through a season of oops. Oops, I made a mistake. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Oops. And what he's saying here is, watch this, the law of his God is in his heart. When a heart is controlled by the word, your steps don't slip. When a heart is controlled by the word, your steps don't slip. When we meditate, when we eat the word, when we focus on the word, then the word will be so in our heart that it speaks when we try not to listen. You ever had the word to speak when you weren't trying to listen? That's, that's, that's mature. That's maturity in God. That the word will spring up and you was like, I don't want to hear all that. I don't want to hear all that. No, I don't want to hear all that. Okay? Psalms 119, verse number 9. Psalms 119, verse number 9. Psalms 119, verse number 9. The Bible says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can you lay aside sin? How can you win this battle? By keeping it according to thy word, by guarding it with scripture. So listen, this is what you got to do. You got to take your sin, and now you got to guard it with scripture. I told you this two week, uh, last week, I, I believe it was, that whatever your sin is, you need to find what the Bible says about it in the word, and you need to get that, and you need to make sure that you have that, and you guard that, that sin with that word. Okay, so I, I told you a couple weeks ago that my struggle with pornography. So now I have to take the word casting down imagination and everything that is also self against the knowledge of, Christ, knowledge of God. Why? Because I have to cast down the imagination of what that does for me, and I have to make sure that I surround it with the word. So every time my, my hand starts going on the mouse to go over to something, I have to now, the word has to come out. Casting down imagination, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. You see how that works? Whatever your it is, 
whatever your sin is, you have to find a corresponding scripture so that you can surround that thing with the word. But you have to meditate on that word. Watch this. It is a constant input of the word of God that begins to fill up the mind and control the thinking. Let me say that again. It is the constant input of the word of God that begins to fill up the mind and control the thinking. Your thinking is not controlled by the word because you ain't got enough of it in it. No wonder why your mind going left. Because you don't have enough word in there in order for it to stabilize it. The word becomes the strength and the resource in us that, can't res that can resist the, init the initial impulses of the flesh. Psalms 119, verse number 10. Stay right there where you're at. Verse number 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse number 11. I have stored up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As you get the word, so filling you up so that it dwells in you richly, Colossians 3.16 says you will find that it will control you. You get that word down on the inside of you, and it will start to control you. Now, let me be honest with you. Let me just be real. When you start to meditate on the word, get ready for every antagonistic attitude to rise up in you. Because your, fl your flesh is going to create an assault against the word of God. So as you're reading it, it's going to give you every excuse why that, that scripture ain't true. Well, who wrote this? Well, why did they write this? Is this accurate? What you mean, is it accurate? When I was talking about the windows of heaven, you was accurate then. But your flesh is anti-God. And because your flesh is anti-God, it's going to try to create everything that is possible to come against that word. Isn't it funny how you can sit through 17 hours of Netflix, but you can't sit through 10 minutes of reading your word without getting sleepy? Because your flesh is anti-God. It is going to do everything possible. But you got to talk to your flesh and say, come on up, flesh, because you about to die today. I'm going to get this word so in me that whatever you try to do, it ain't going to work any longer. This will help you. I promise you it will. But every, I'm telling you, every attitude, every desire, all of a sudden you're going to start reading the word and you're going to be hungry. After you just ate. You're going to get sleepy. You're going to get tired. You're going to have an attitude. Watch this. You're going to try to read the word and then everything external going to get on your nerves. Watch this. So the same child that was just in your face five minutes ago when you wasn't reading the word, didn't bother you. But when you start reading, what do y'all want? Go sit down somewhere. That's that flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, that's that flesh. There it is. That's that flesh. Because everything about your flesh is anti-God, and it's going to come out when you try to get that word on the inside of you. It don't want the, it don't want the word. It don't want the word. Don't, don't you fool yourself. I don't care how much you sit up here with your nice little Bible. It don't want the word. It don't want the word. Because you'll get it in here, but you won't get it outside. It don't want the word. Mm -hmm. Watch this. When you feel the impulse of the flesh, meditate on the word and not on the enticings of the flesh and its pleasure. Read my points back to me. Let's go. Number one is what? Number two? Number three? Number four? And number five? Here's number six. Immediately repent over stumbling. Immediately repent over stumbling. Oh, you're going to stumble. Mm -hmm. We're going to stumble. Some of y'all know you stumbled today. 
as you was on this fast, you stumbled through the fast. You, but you have to immediately repent over the stumbling. Matthew 26, verse number 75. Matthew 26, verse number 75. The gospel according to Matthew, verse number 20, oh, chapter 26, verse number 75. flesh don't want this word. Mm-mm. They don't want the word. That's why I, when I really started seeking God for real, I refused to sit in the back. Um, I sit in the back when I go to other churches because I just don't like the highlight and people be calling me out and stuff. I couldn't stand that. It gets on my nerves. But um, I, when I was really starting to seek God, I had to sit on the front because if I sat in the back, I was too distracted. I noticed, I, I would see everybody was in church. Watch this. I was so distracted to the point where when I left church, I could tell you who was there, but I couldn't tell you what the sermon was. So I couldn't sit in the back because I was seeking after God and I needed God's word so down in me that I had to clear out all distractions. Can I just be real with you? There's some season in your spirituality you can't even sit by the people you've always been sitting around. Because when God starts growing you and ain't growing them, you have a determining factor you got to make. You got to decide, okay, am I going to grow or am I going to stay the same? And it don't mean that they're bad people. And it don't mean that, you know, God ain't growing them. It just means that I have to be in a place where I can't be distracted any longer because my flesh don't want this word. My flesh don't want this word. You ain't really got the word good until you left here and you was mad at me. All the time. But don't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you ain't got this word good until you mad at me. Until you realize that it ain't really Pastor Philip, it is really the Lord that's talking to you that's trying to get something past your flesh into your spirit. Yeah, you got to get this word, but you got to immediately repent over stumbling. Matthew 25, verse number 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Here's the line. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, we get on Peter because he disowned Jesus three times. Remember, he disowned Jesus three times. And Jesus told him he was going to do it. Never me, Lord. I ain't going to do that. And he went and did it, right? And we castigate uh, Peter for him disowning the Lord. But we must also realize his immediate remorse over what he did wrong. Because when the rooster crowed, the Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. In other words, he didn't have to go through a revival and somebody greasing him up or slapping their hand on their forehead, on his on his forehead for him to realize he was in error. Can I tell you something? That's another reason why you got to be careful of your own spirituality that the only time that God can move on you is in church. He immediately had remorse. Be immediately repented over the lapses and go back to the place of confession and repent. Repentance isn't just saying, and I want you to hear this, it's not just saying, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. It is saying, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, and I don't want to do that again. That's real repentance. When you confess your sins and you say, I'm sorry, I did that, please forgive me, I don't ever want to do that again, here we go, write this down. Now you need to name it. What is it that you don't want to do again? Name it. Name it specifically. Let your own heart and even your own ears hear you naming the sin that you developed in your heart a, a degree of, so that you can develop in your heart a degree of accountability to God. You got to name it. So here's what I've discovered. Because we don't want everybody knowing our business, we deceive ourselves by not knowing our own business. 
So I ain't going to say what's really wrong with me. I ain't going to call that thing out like it is. Mm-hmm. The reason I name pornography is because now it, it, I have to hear that in my ear. I have to get that in my understanding. Watch this. Let me, let me, let me, I'm, I'm going left and I'm going to come back to it. Watch, watch this. Because if you don't name it, then God cannot necessarily hold you accountable for it because you won't be real about it. Watch this. You ready for this? Because if I hold back from naming it, then when I do it, I only have to ask forgiveness once. But when I name it, I have to ask forgiveness twice. Why do I have to ask forgiveness twice? Because I got to ask forgiveness because I did it, and I have to ask forgiveness for the hypocrisy.